Well, this weekend we're talking about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, we're talking about chance encounters and divine appointments. And most of us can think of some sort of a chance encounter that we've had at one point in our life or another. And, uh, you know, perhaps it was some sort of a stroke of luck. Maybe you won a prize or you met somebody famous because you were in the right place at the right time. And for me, I recalled the first time that I discovered that I had the ability to teleport myself through other objects. It's a rare gift. Not many people have it. And it's something that I apparently have, you know, drew the, the right straw to, to have. And uh, well, I discovered this gift when Jill and I were newly married. And we had, we had borrowed her brother's truck what, to do some furniture shopping. And we were driving down France Avenue in Edina. And if you can picture that in your mind, it's like eight or ten lanes of traffic, multiple stoplights along this major thoroughfare through through Edina, and uh, so there's usually like, there's like three lanes, I think, that go straight through the intersections, and then there's another lane on either side of that that either turns left or right, and we were in the, one of the lanes that was going straight, and the, you know, we were coming up to a stoplight, and the stoplight set in front of us was red. I, however, wasn't paying attention to that because there was a police car with, attending to an accident or had pulled somebody over, and the next set of lights and I was distracted by the swirly lights that were up there. And, and so as we approached this red light, the other issue was not only that the light was red, but across the front line of, of the intersection was already an entire row of cars. And so there were cars in every single lane. There were cars that were three cars that were going to go straight, and there was a car ready to turn right and a car ready to turn left. And as we approached it, I didn't see it at all. And suddenly Jill lets out this, this blood-curdling scream and it wasn't the kind of scream that was like, John, watch out, we're, we need to stop. It was a, oh my gosh, we're going to die kind of scream. And so, and, and she, she was screaming like that for good reason, because we were barreling down on the cars that were stopped, and there was no way that we were going to be able to stop in time. And so I did the only thing that I could do. I clenched up my arms, and I squinted my eyes, and hit, hit the brakes as best I could, and then nothing happened. And before I knew it, we were through the intersection, into the next set of lights, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and the cars are still sitting. I'm not exaggerating. I, to this day, I, I think there was some kind of a miracle that we wedged this Dodge through this tiny sliver of daylight between the cars that were stopped at the stoplight. And so that was a, a chance encounter in, you know, where I learned that I could you know, move things with my mind. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I, I, don't, I don't particularly want to try it again, but, um, but I know that I can do it if I, if I have to. Um, even more incredible and, and more life-changing are the types of chance encounters that involve the change in the trajectory, tra trajectory of a life. And I don't mean the trajectory of a life if you wreck your brother-in-law's truck. Um, but no, I mean the, the type of spiritual trajectory of a life. That when we, when we encounter someone or, or have our own life that, that has changed because we've come into contact with our Lord and Savior. We've come into contact with the God who created us, and, and we are in relationship with him, and we move from a place of aimlessness to, to being purposeful, a place of hopelessness to hopeful, and a place of faithless to faithfully following Jesus and finding our place in God's story. These chance encounters are actually divine appointments. They're moments when the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts and our lives and, and, and brings us to a new place, both spiritually and sometimes physically, uh, in our lives. And throughout the book of Acts, 
we see examples of these chance encounters that are actually divine appointments. And one example that we're looking at today is in Acts chapter 8, and it's the story of Philip and an Ethiopian eunuch. And Philip is an evangelist and a follower of Jesus, and the Ethiopian eunuch is a royal official. And both, in this story we're about to read, are prompted by God to go on a journey that leads them to meet. The Ethiopian, Ethiopian is searching for answers to questions about the scriptures that he's reading. And Philip meets him in this random chance encounter or divine appointment to explain and, and offer the answers that he needs. It's a story that shows us three specific ways that we can experience the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to read this story together, and again, it's in Acts chapter 8. And if you're using one of the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, it's on page 1099. And uh, so you can turn to that. And again, Acts chapter 8 and uh, page 1099. And we've got it up here on the screen here for a second, uh, the page number if you want to look there. 1099. And um, if you're using a phone or a tablet device, uh, we're in the NIV translation, so you can follow along there. So we're going to start in verse 26. And so again, Acts chapter 8, verse 26 the story of Philip meeting the Ethiopian eunuch. And here we go. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Well, we're going to stop there for a second. So Philip listens and follows the prompting of the Spirit. And the first way that we experience the Holy Spirit is when we pause and listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And this idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, if we just want to be honest for a second, is a little weird. We don't really know what it is or how, what does this prompting feel like? Is it something that's really obvious? Is it something that just feels like we're talking to ourselves, but we're not? What, what is it? And I would say that is the journey of, of, of following God, of believing in God, is this mysterious interaction that we have with a God that we can't see. This mysterious interaction that we have with a God that, that we at times feel very real in our hearts and yet at times feel very distant from. And so this journey of discerning what is and what is not the Holy Spirit is part of of the journey. And so if you feel that sense of mystery or that sense of doubt in the midst of that, that's okay. That's, that's perfectly normal. Well, we see in Philip an availability and an obedience to the Spirit's prompting. And here's a little background on Philip to kind of set the stage for us. So Philip, this is Philip the evangelist, not Philip the disciple. Uh, you know, Philip, this is different than Philip the disciple. Uh, who was with Jesus is, with posse. And um, this Philip was one of the deacons that was appointed to the church in Jerusalem. And he's also a church planner. He planted a church in Samaria. And if you go just a, about half a chapter before we, where we started reading, it talks about him planning and starting this church in Samaria. And he has left Samaria just before we read of him meeting uh, the man referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch. And at the time, Philip's ministry is flourishing. He's already responded to a call to ministry. He's serving in the local church in Jerusalem. He's planted a church in Samaria. He, he, he's not wringing his hands looking for things to do for God. He's already busy. And yet he still listens and responds to this prompting. A little background on the Ethiopian eunuch is that he's an official in the queen's court. 
which would have been a very prestigious role. He's a eunuch, which means that his male anatomy has been altered, and this was a requirement for serving on the queen's court and being one of the queen's officials. So he's searching and seeking desperately for the meaning of life, for a purpose beyond where he's currently at. And he's traveled thousands of miles to come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And now, in, in those days, a journey like that was just, quite frankly, downright ridiculous. It would have been dangerous. It would have taken him, this is probably there and back, like a year's worth of time to leave his current job and to, per, to, to pursue the answers that he's looking for. And what would have been really disappointing and really and is tragic in this sense is that because of the Mosaic laws that were in force at the time, eunuchs were not allowed to worship in the temple. So he would have traveled all that way and then been turned away without being able to go in and, and try to get the answers that he's looking for. He would have come all this way to worship God and then been turned away. Now there's lots of other, you know, this, this, these mosaic laws that were in place were a lot of these, these clean, cleanliness laws. And so there were things and conditions that, you know, con, that considered, were considered uh, unclean. And you had to be cleansed of those before you could enter the temple. Well, the condition of a eunuch was one of the only conditions which, for which there was no procedure to be considered clean. You were just always prohibited from being in the temple. So there's a lot in this backstory that helps us understand that this meeting, as random as it seems to Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, is no small thing in God's eyes. And we recognize that the kingdom of God advances in surprising and counterintuitive ways. The kingdom of God advances in surprising and counterintuitive ways. And if you think about your own journey and, and what brought you to relationship with God, what brought you into reconciliation with the God that created you, is probably something similar. Um, not probably quite as extreme, but something where it was not something that you maybe were anticipating, that it was a hard season of life or you know, something as a child, and it just kind of came to you. We aren't responsible for, for, for God showing up in our lives. God shows up in our lives most of the time, and we're not expecting it. The first time I remember feeling compelled to go towards someone in this way, I was in college, and I was serving as a volunteer with a ministry called Young Life. And I was hanging out at a local high school, meeting students, when I met Jonas. And Jonas was a foreign exchange student from Germany, and the first time we met, I could see him coming down the hall, and his eyes were locked on me, and I could tell that he was intent on, uh, on coming to meet me, and, and so I, I waited for him to, to come over, and, and uh, we met and exchanged names, and he asked who I was and what I was doing there, and that's a common question when you're a random adult hanging out with high school students, and, and I invited him to come check out this thing called Young Life, and, and he did. And over the course of time, I learned that Jonas's family, while his host family, while being a great family, uh, didn't have kids exactly his age, and, and he just felt a little isolated. They lived down this long road in the community where, where, where he lived, and, and uh, he just was kind of isolated in this spot. So I would pick him up, and we would go to Young Life meetings, and, and uh, we'd go to football games or other school events together. And over the course of time, we got to know each other pretty well. And you've likely had a similar experience to this when you've met someone or you've gotten involved with an organization and you feel 
a tug before that or a call or some sort of a prompting that, that draws you in a certain direction to help. Maybe it's an issue that you've learned about that has just broken your heart and you've gotten involved with it. And that's the first way that we experience the Holy Spirit. That's responding to that prompting inside that I can't not do this. I have to be a part of this. Whatever this thing is, whatever that may be, we can recognize that there's these times when I just, I can't not do this. And this is how Philip responds to the prompting that's, that's in his heart. There's also lots of reasons that this encounter shouldn't have even happened. Again, Philip was already busy in ministry. The Ethiopian traveled a, a crazy distance to be there and just might not have come to Jerusalem. And there were social and cultural barriers and obstacles and all kinds of reasons that these two should never have met, let alone had a conversation. Philip could have also disregarded himself as totally inadequate or properly trained for such a conversation. He could have considered himself lower than or less than someone in the, the queen's royal court. I'm not, I'm not going up to that chariot. But both of these characters have been prompted by the Spirit, and they, they, they arrive at the same location. They aren't directed to, to people. They're directed to a place. The Holy Spirit sent Philip in spite of all these things, and he overcame layers of fear and, and resistance and, I'm sure, a nagging thought that just doesn't make any sense. So that's where we pick up the story again in verse 30. So you can turn back to verse 30, and uh, at this point, Philip is now running to catch up to a chariot. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? He asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is, who is this prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Okay, so we've got a, we've got a local church deacon chasing a chariot of a royal official he asks him a question about what he's reading, and he's immediately responsive to the conversation. Invites him to sit with him. And it's important to note here that Philip is not a biblical scholar. Yes, he is a, he's, a, he's involved in the local church, and he's working on planting a, a, another church, but he's not a teacher of the law. He's not someone in, in this context, in this day, that would have considered, been considered somebody that, that knew a lot about, a lot about the Bible. But more important that he knows the God that the scripture is describing. And now this may not be Philip the disciple of Jesus, but this Philip is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and as such he has learned how the scriptures reveal and point to Jesus. And the second way that we experience the Holy Spirit is by learning to be disciples. And part of being a disciple is, is discovering how we guide others to see and follow Jesus as well. First and foremost, believing in Jesus is the key to understanding what the Bible says. Believing in Jesus is the key to understanding what the Bible says. 
And then this next step of, of obedience that we, we see Philip stepping into, this call to obey is more than just belief. It takes us beyond this first step of belief, and it takes us into a spot where we, we're living this out with our lives. To obey is to do this with your life, and it's to help others to do the same. Part of being a disciple is bringing others along with us. And experiencing the Holy Spirit in this way is both an active relationship with God and it's an active learning about the story that he has written. You know, this is why here at Five Oaks we have something called the Story of God class. And it's an incredible experience that will help you discover how the whole Bible fits together and how the whole thing points to Jesus and what that means uh, for, the, for, the, for the story that God has written and what that means for us personally as we discover our place in God's story. If you've never been a part of the Story of God experience here at Five Oaks, make 2019 the year that you do it. You can write Story of God on your communication card, and we will get you, we'll get you all the information you need to, to jump in to that class. Learning leads us to deeper understanding. And Jen Wilkin is the name of a, she's a popular Bible teacher and, and author, and she says this about learning. Contrary to our gut reaction, feeling lost or confused is not a bad sign for a student of the word. It's actually a sign that our understanding is being challenged and that the learning and that learning is about to take place. Embracing the dissonance of feeling lost rather than avoiding it, or giving up or dulling it, looking for a shortcut will actually place us in the best possible position to learn. We must extend ourselves permission to get lost and patience to find our way to understanding. The reason that we can give ourselves permission to get lost is because we're not lost. The Holy Spirit is guiding us as we seek to come to know God more deeply, not just in head knowledge but in heart knowledge and in the way that we live it out in our everyday lives. We trust this process of learning to Him and and that's how we can trust the journey that it's taking us on. And I think too often our conversations about the Bible get tangled up in ethics and facts. If we become too eager to be right, we miss the broader purpose of what the Bible is trying to do for us. The Bible is, its, it's intended purpose is to reveal Jesus. And if we miss Jesus for the sake of knowledge, we miss its purpose. The whole idea is it ought to reveal who Jesus is to us and reveal how we live in the truth of who that is. As a quick side note, the passage from Isaiah, speaking of how the scriptures can speak to people, people specifically, the, the passage from Isaiah that the Ethiopian is reading is somewhere in the kind of chapters of, you know, chapter 40 to 50, somewhere, somewhere in there. And in chapter 56, it's a section called the Servant Songs, and, and it says this. So this is something that the eunuch likely would have, would have read based on the chunk of scripture that he was, he was reading. And keep in mind, this is someone who has just been turned away from the temple. There's no path for him to be in the temple, or even in this sense, if, if I'm him, you know, if we're him, we're thinking, there's no path for me to know the answers that, that I have questions, that the, the answers to the questions that I have. And this is what it says in chapter 56. To the eunuchs, I will give within my temple a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. 
the scriptures are literally speaking right to his situation. And Philip steps in at this point to explain who the God in this story is that is going to give him this name. Who is going to give me access to God? Who, who is this guy talking What is this talking about? And Philip's faith in this sense was his most important credential in, in being the Bible teacher that the Ethiopian needed. His faith makes him able to be led by the Holy Spirit to guide this Ethiopian through the scriptures he was reading, which ultimately leads him to respond in faith. And that's what we pick up here in verse 36. And so you can turn to verse 36, and it says, As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Okay, so there's a couple of big things that are happening here. The first is that obviously along the way, Philip is explaining what baptism is, and he's helping the, the eunuch to respond in faith. You know, their conversation has progressed to the point that he's explained who Jesus is and, and what this whole thing of following Jesus is all about. And, and, the, and the way that you, that you do that, the way you respond in faith is to be baptized and to experience the, the power of the Spirit coming into you and empowering you as you're reconciled to the God who created you. And so Philip has had this conversation with him, and he goes down to be baptized. And then there's this kind of weird thing right at the end of the passage here that doesn't have a lot to do with what we're, with what we're looking at today, but it's worth mentioning because it's there and Sometimes things like that can distract us from the thing that we're looking at. So it makes it sound like Philip and I have the same mental powers. He has the way, a way of sort of mentally teleporting himself to somewhere else. So what is going on here? It says that suddenly took Philip away. Or in, other, in other translations, it kind of makes it even sound like he's disappeared. And then he just reappears in another place. Well, so for, for you... Fortnite players out there, I had this image in my head. So Fortnite is a video game that's all the rage right now. And uh, in the latest season of Fortnite, middle school and high schoolers, maybe elementary schoolers, if you have played Fortnite, this is how you get to transport around the island now. There's a little magnet above you on these zip lines, and you transport around it. So I had, this in, I had this thought, well, maybe there's some magnet that's taking him down a zip line. Uh, that's probably not the case. Um, and uh, so you can, you can go back to the other one. But um, maybe, it's, maybe it is some sort of spirit teleportation, but like what, what is it? Well, if we, if we look at the words that are in there, uh, we can dispel this pretty quickly. There are other words, similar words used in other uh, passages that basically just are saying that he left suddenly. It doesn't mean that he, you know, found a, a wormhole in, the, in, in time and stepped into it and disappeared. Uh, nothing like that. It just, probably, it just means that he left quickly. The point of all of this is that what we see is, is the Ethiopian eunuch who moments before was asking questions about who God is. And then in this moment has the opportunity to speak directly with God as he responds in faith in his baptism. And that's the point of this passage. The point is that we, there's someone who has desperately seeking the answers that he has to the questions he has and, and finds them and Philip helps him to guide him in that way. 
we experience the Holy Spirit. The third way, when we experience the Holy Spirit, when we lead others to respond in faith. We are to follow him, and he will lead us to others and others to us so that we may lead them back to God himself. There's a lot of words in there, but essentially, we are living out our faith, and we're praying that as we're being sensitive to, to God's direction, and where is he leading us, and who's he leading us to, and uh, we ought not worry too much about the conversation we'll have when we get there. The point is, is that God is orchestrating all of this in our lives and in the lives of people around us through conversation and time spent together. The goal of evangelism isn't just to share what we know with people. It's to invite them into following Jesus. So I continued to spend time hanging out with Jonas, and we became good friends. He was here in the States just about a year for one full school year. And about midway through the year, about this time actually, uh, we had this random conversation about life and the, the meaning of life and the purpose of life. And I could tell that he had uh, just some stirring of just, he was really kind of struggling with this whole idea of the purpose of life and what it was all about and how to find true meaning. And Jonas's English was very good, but I don't know if it was his German culture or just the, the English words that he had learned, but he was very blunt and direct. And at one point, he literally said to me, <clears throat> John, I'm looking for something, but I don't know what it is. Something is missing from my life. And before I could, and he went on and said, I, I think while I'm here, I want to I go, go on a road trip across America. And maybe if I do that, you know, I can, I can find what I'm, what I'm looking for. And I said, well, you'll see a lot of things if you do that, but I, I don't think it's going to lead you to the thing that you're looking for. And before I knew what I was saying, I found myself sharing my faith with Jonas and explained uh, who Jesus was and this whole idea of the relationship that's extended to us and the reconciliation that we can have with the God who created us. And at that moment, Jonas literally said to me, I'll never forget this, he said, yes, that, that is what I'm looking for. How do we do it? How, do, how does this work? And I was just like, seriously? You know? And, and uh, he was, I mean, he was dead serious. What, that, that is it. I said, well, I'm, I'm pretty new at this particular part, but, um, but it's as easy as saying a prayer. So Jonas and I prayed together, and Jonas put his faith in Jesus. And afterwards, he said again, bluntly, now what? What do, I, what do I do now? And I said, well, first we celebrate, man. Welcome to the family. You know, we you know, celebrated. And, and uh, I said, but daily, you know, we can pray. We can pray. We can talk to God just like you and I are talking. And we can read our Bibles and, and understand the story that, that we're a part of. And he said, yeah, I need, a, I need a Bible. Do you have one of those? And I said, I do have one of those. And so he took my Bible, and uh, he was off to the races. And throughout the year, uh, we worked, uh, some friends of ours, we worked him into this community of, of friends that were all following Jesus together. And later that summer, before he returned to Germany, he went on a backpacking trip with us in Colorado and was baptized. The Holy Spirit empowers us as we lead others to respond in faith. So why, why would God do that? Why would he send his spirit to empower, to empower us to, to do that? 
Because this is one of the ways that God wants us to experience him. There's so often that all of us have the question of, I just wish my faith felt more real. It doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel tangible. I just wish there was a sign. I wish there was, that's a common feeling. This is the invitation that God gives us to feel the reality of who he is and the reality of his power. And this doesn't mean that we, we, we typically think of this as a spectrum. There were either bullhorn guy on the corner shaming people or we don't say anything. And somewhere in the middle here is our individual style. The relationships that we have, the friendships we've built, the, the places we spend time. And God is ready to use those things to show us who he is, to draw people to himself. And so we all have these apprehensions about interactions like this. And the direction that God is leading us may not be a sudden moment like we see in this story. And it might be a long, faithful road. At a conference this past week, I heard Edgar Sandoval, the president of World Vision, share an incredible story about perseverance and faithfulness on a clean water project that they were doing in Africa. And so World Vision is a, is a, a global Christian humanitarian organization, and their primary effort is bringing clean water uh, to some of the most desperate places in the world, particularly in Africa. And so they're working to bring water to this particular community that desperately needed clean water. And he shared that when they're drilling, they usually hit water right around 100, 110, 120 meters at the most. And so they began drilling, and they, they, they hit 100 meters, 110. They're getting excited, and here, we got to be there. They hit 120, 130, 140, no water. 150, 160, 170, no water. So they stop to regroup, and they're kind of scratching their heads, and they're frustrated, but they're determined to keep going. 180, 200, 210. They're almost 100 meters beyond where they usually are when they hit water. So they pull the drill out of the hole, and they're figuring, trying to figure out what's going on, and, and, and they, they retool the whole thing, and they put the drill back in, and at this point, you know, some people have started to gather because they can tell that something's not right. Uh, 230, 250, 270, and still no water. At this point, they are about to give up. It, clearly, we've got we've to start in a different spot. But they're looking at the, the, the plan and the, the map that they've drawn out for why the well needs to be here and why there should be water there for, for them to, to drill into. And so some, some people from the local community begin to gather, and they begin to pray specifically. And, and, and they, they put the drill back in the hole, and they kept going. 230, 250, 270, 280, 290, and still nothing. 300 meters and nothing. And then at 318, water springs forth out of this well and people are dancing and the world vision staff are relieved and you know excited obviously and the reality is that there are times when the holy spirit is going to call us to something that's going to require a long obedience it's not going to happen in a moment 
And what I love about this story is that they went a ridiculous distance to find water. Pretty much two football fields further than they expected to go. What if they had stopped? What would have been the impact of of not being able to bring clean water to that community? And in our lives, we can think of places where we've been working on something for a long time or we felt called into something or into somebody's life and it's just not, it's, maybe it's just not going well. We've just been praying for someone for a long time and it doesn't seem like anything is happening. It's encouragement to us to, as we are seeking to tap into the, the living water, not only in our own lives, but in the lives of the people around us, we can't stop drilling. We have to be faithful to the God who has called us to drill, to respond to his prompting, to take his story to the people around us, to not only connect them to the God of the story, but to experience his power for ourselves. So wherever you are on your journey this morning, I want to invite you to take this next time to reflect and respond to God. We call this portion of our service our our response time, and and it's exactly that. It's a time to respond to what we've heard. And this morning, there's a couple of specific things that we can respond to. First and foremost, that God, first and foremost, has called you into right relationship with him. And he is not going to stop drilling. And secondly, there is someone in your midst. Maybe it's a a foster family or a child or uh, somebody that you work with or somebody at school that you can have a relationship with that that God can use to bring them to himself. And so I want to invite you to respond in that way. And there's a number of ways that you can do that. And we have our candle stations up here. These are prayer stations, and they're particularly uh, helpful this morning as we want to pray for people in our lives who are far from God, that the Spirit would move in their lives and somehow move in ours to to connect our paths, that we may help them uh, to discover the truth of who God is. The second way that you can, you can respond is we have prayer stations in the back as well, and so you can kneel uh, and, and just spend a few moments with God that way. And we have communion as well. If you're a follower of Christ, we invite you to receive communion this morning, and uh, you come up at any time. You don't have to wait for the rest of the people in your row. Just come up when you're ready and dip the bread and the juice, and, and you can return to your seat or take it up here, whatever you want to do that way. But spend a few moments responding to the God who loves you, and has empowered you to take his story to the world.